Good evening. And it's a joy to have been here these last hours and to have seen how the Word of God has been empowering in opening the eyes of our understanding and pouring in His light. And in His light, we see all things that are as they really are. And that transforms your life because he doesn't see the twilight zone that many of us live in. And when he opens our eyes and we're flooded with light, we see, we see the truth. And it's been a joy to watch that happening in a number of us here. And I want to just give the text that is the anchor to this weekend. It's in John chapter 14. Now let me say that this is one of the most important conversations that ever took place on this planet. It begins in chapter 13 of John and it moves right through chapter 14, 15, 16 and then in chapter 17 Jesus prays the entire chapter and sums up the whole conversation. And remember that, I'm coming back to it. But right in the middle of that conversation, Jesus tells us in chapter 14 and verse 20, he says, in that day, so he's saying there's something that hasn't happened yet, but he's speaking throughout the whole conversation of something that is going to happen very soon. And so he calls that very soon, that day. And he's told them in that day, the Holy Spirit is going to come to them. More than come, he's going to come inside of them. And he is going to be their guide, their teacher, the one who opens their eyes and introduces them to an entirely new world that they've never been in before. Nor has anyone in the whole of the created time. This is so new. This is the new covenant. You know, in the Greek language, there are two words for new. Um, we don't really have it, sort of. Um, but there, first of all, the word new, um, it's new in, in the sense it's the newest in a long line. That is, you, you bought a car and you call it your new car. Well, yes it is, in that suddenly the one you were driving has become your old car. This is the next one in succession. It's new, but really it's much the same as your other one, except they've made a different shape to it and a few bells and whistles, but it's more or less the same. And when I began driving, which is hundreds of years ago, I, I actually drove a car that was not too far away from the Model T Ford. And it wasn't then an antique car. It was one on a used parking lot. And, um, but you know, that car wasn't too different to the one I'm driving today. In terms of the engine works more or less the same way. They've just done bits and pieces here and updated that. It's new in a succession. But this word new in the new covenant means it is new in kind. That is, you have never seen anything like this before. If we were talking cars, we would say it is a new way of transportation. You've never dreamt of it. You've never imagined it. You've never seen it. It is new. What Jesus came to give us is not a new in succession. It's not simply the latest model. Jesus did not improve on Moses. It ended Moses. You'll never see that again. Jesus didn't come merely to give us what he did in the Gospels. He came to give us something that we'd never dreamed of, never thought of, staggering, amazing, astonishing. And he said it would happen in that day when he would have done something 
and the Holy Spirit would have come in that day. And here it comes. He says, in that day, you will know. And the word he uses there is not to know about. It's got nothing to do with academic education. It's not knowing intellectually, knowing about something. You can't pass an exam on this and just have true, false, and get an A. This is a word which means an intimate, a most personal, personal observation, personal experience of. In fact, it is used throughout the scripture as a, as a word that describes marriage and marriage union. And so if you've got an older version of the Bible, if you go back to Genesis, it says, and Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived and bore a son. That's the word here. It's the, you will know this. You will know it so much that you are intimately bound to it. You'll never be the same again. This new, this new in kind, this which has never been before, in that day, you will intimately, personally know what? That I, said Jesus, I am in my Father. In, inside, standing in the same place as my Father, I am in him. Such a union, such a bond that is seamless and there is no separation. Yet in that union, I'm still Jesus and he's still the Father. He doesn't displace me. I don't displace him. We're in. And in that in, we have a dynamic relationship in which he gives me himself and I give him myself. And yet I never cease to be me. He never ceases to be he. I am in my father. Okay. And he says, you will know intimately, personally, that you are in me. So he said, when this day comes, the day of the new covenant, you will know in that day that you are inside of me, standing in the same place as me, in that same relationship, but you will not lose your identity. In fact, you'll be more you than you've ever been before. And I will not be displaced. We will not become a religious blob. You will be you and I will be I, and yet, we shall be so one, seamlessly one, and I will pour myself into you, and you will receive of me, and I will live in you. And while that's happening, I am in my Father. So that means you are in him who's in his Father. And it's all in the same space. He's in his Father. His Father's in him, and you are in him, in the Father. And there's a dynamic relationship. In fact, it sounds crazy, but there's a lot of room to move around. So much so that the word that this came to be in the Greek language is the word we get, our word, choreography. That we're going to dance together. That there shall be such delight and rejoice and give and take and love and receive that it will be the holy dance of God. And he who binds us together and is in us is the Holy Spirit in whom all this begins. You will know I am in my Father. You are in me. And I am in you. In, in, in. And the word means, I say again, in the same space, so dynamically joined. That is Christianity 101. <laughs> that is the essence of the gospel. Yeah. That's... Huh. And the Holy Spirit awakens us to that is. 
And, and you've got to get that. It is. Because I heard someone say, how do I get in? You're too late. I'm sorry. <laughs> because the Father already put you in. You're in. He didn't say, I am the vine. And if you do this and if you do that and sign this card, you will be the branches. Have you noticed that? He said, I am the vine. You are the branches. Wake up. You are the branches. And I mean this. Oh, this is all I'm going to say tonight. I'm going to keep this up. This is, this is it. You are. You, you is. You're, you are in him. And that might be the first time you've ever heard a hint of that. Well, that's okay. I don't know how long it took before men discovered that there was oil in Oklahoma. But it didn't mean that when they realized it and discovered it, that it suddenly happened. No, it had been there for millennia. And they just didn't know. But it had been there. And they were persons walking on top of oil lakes. They didn't know it. Do you understand? You sitting in front of me tonight, oh, Spirit of God, open our eyes. You sitting in front of me tonight, you are in Christ and Christ is in you and he is in the Father and you right now are in the middle of the Holy Trinity love who wills to dance with you and take you into a life where there is no sin consciousness, where you live in peace, where you live in the divine shalom of God, the peace that passes human comprehension. And when Paul spoke of this gospel, he quoted from the Old Testament, and he said, I has not seen. Nobody has ever seen this before. Ear has never heard this before. It has never entered into the heart. They've never comprehended, never conceived of the idea of the things that God has for those who love and know him. And that's where everybody stops. And they said, that means heaven. Of course, you would, everything means heaven. No, it doesn't. It means now. It says, Paul, see, that's not the end of the sentence. There's a comma there. The end of the sentence is, that, that was Isaiah speaking, that he couldn't, come, he couldn't conceive it. But Paul quoted that and then he said, but now God has revealed that to us by the Holy Spirit. We're in it. We're the people that Isaiah spoke about. Can I say it again? This is you. It is you. I, I was down in the gold mines in South Africa and you go down and down and down and down until you begin to feel the heat of the earth coming up. If you turn off your headlight, it is so dark you can't see a finger in front of your nose. How many millennia did it take for men to discover the gold down there? Not very long ago, actually. It had been there for, it seems, forever and ever. And they walked on top of it. And then one day they found it and realized what it was. And I say this very carefully, that it is more than likely that you walk into this meeting with no clue that the gospel is infinitely, staggeringly more than you'd ever dreamed it to be. And you've been walking on top of its promises. You've been in the middle of the dynamic movement of the Holy Spirit and you didn't know it. That's okay. He loved you all the time. And he just couldn't wait for you to get into this meeting. It's because he loves you. And now he would open your eyes, not to give you something that wasn't, but to introduce you to something that has been all this time. I said this, this verse is, is in the middle of a long conversation. Now take this in. Jesus had gathered with the disciples and they are having that last Passover meal. And in the Passover meal, he speaks very briefly of this is my blood which is shed for you. 
Well, that's about it. Conversation goes on, and I listen to that conversation. Remember, Jesus is about four hours away from the beginnings of his sufferings. Think about that. This is in the evening, and they were going to go to the Gethsemane, and he's going to be arrested. And then by three in the morning, he'll be in the fullness of the sufferings, and he'll be taken to die on the cross all within just a number of hours of saying this conversation. And I'm shocked. My evangelical charismatic mind was shocked because in that whole conversation, the longest conversation recorded of Jesus having that was given a matter of a couple of hours before his sufferings begin. There is not one mention here that he's going to suffer. There's not a mention here that he's going to die. Just that one hint that we get when he instituted the Holy Communion. What, what's it all about then? The entire conversation was about this. He's, he's saying that verse, which I say is an anchor verse to the whole conversation. But in just a few verses down, he's going to say that my father loves you. I love you. And we, father and son and Holy Spirit, we are going to come and take up residence in you. You are going to be our residing place on earth. And, and there's an excitement about it. It's as if he can't wait to get that day. When was that day? When Jesus rose from the dead? When he ascended? That's the beginnings, the first dawn light. But it was on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came, the one he's been talking about. And on that day, he opened their eyes and he inflamed their hearts. And they got it, we're in him, and he's in us, and we're dancing inside the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you realize when Jesus said, it is finished, he wasn't talking merely of getting rid of your sin. Please, please, as believers, can we get beyond this obsession with sin? That Jesus died for sin. That's why he came, they said. That's why he came. He came to die for sin. And now you've got to keep on daily checkups to see if you sin because he didn't do enough. And every time you trip over some sin, you've got to confess your sin and hope that God will start all over again to forgive you. Because you know God. He's obsessed with sin too. And he's eternally irritated with you because you keep on doing it. And that's why we have all the church meetings, so you can keep on coming forward and trying to get rid of sin. Can somebody go back to the Bible and realize that right before the cross, Jesus didn't talk about taking away sin. He certainly didn't talk about going to heaven. He talked about heaven coming to you. And he talked about the Holy Trinity of God coming to take up residence inside of you. I will be in you. And I'm already in the Father. And you're going to be in me. And it, the word in means all happening in the same space with a relationship that is so real, seamless, simultaneous, so there are times when I'm not sure who's doing what. Yeah. I live, said Paul. I live. I live. Yet not I. It is Christ who lives inside of me. And we already know Christ is inside the Father. You, hold it, Paul. Who's living then? You said, I live. Then you said it wasn't you. Then you said it was Christ. It gets very complicated sometimes. Christ, who is my life? Then whose life is it? For he said, I'm more alive than I've ever been before. And yet another is living life inside of me so seamlessly that he can say, for me to live is Christ. 
And remember, he doesn't displace you. He doesn't get rid of you. He rather exalts you. But you have never known being human like this before. Yeah. And you see, we, get, we even get mixed up on that. I was in another church, a long way from here. And, and this girl, she sang. She sang like an angel. And the blessing of God flowed. And I went and I said, thank you for that song. She said, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. Well, I could have sworn it was you. <laughs> you know, see, bless her heart, but she believed that what I'm saying meant that she disappeared. That she's absorbed, she's gone. Just There was another song we sang when I was growing up. All of him and none of me. What do you mean? The entire Bible is about God so loving you that He, in all His fullness, wants to live inside of you in all your fullness. And it gets complicated, but it's glorious. That I'm standing on this platform, but in the self-same moment, the Holy Spirit of Christ is standing on this platform. And in the same breath, I say that Jesus Himself is speaking into your heart. Now, don't get sleep tonight, try and work that out. But that's being, that's Christianity 101. When you go to your office, who goes to your office? Four of you. <laughs> you are included. You're included. You're included in all that Jesus is, you're, you are included. And he's included into the Father, so you're included too. In fact, you could reduce this entire gospel to that simple matter, and you'd have to say it with great enthusiasm and lots of laughter to say, I'm included. That's, that's what it is, I'm included, I'm there. And you see, that is why the earliest church had baptism right at the beginning of the awakened life. I've woken up. In hearing this gospel, I have woken up to who I really am. That Jesus isn't someone over there doing something for me and giving me it, whatever he did. It's Jesus and me united to such a point it's seamless. And when he carried me, he took all my sin and made it his own. And he gave me his righteousness so that I would relate to him and in him relate to the Father. And he took my sin and it was canceled, dismissed, taken away, never to be remembered again. That was the beginning. I, I was one with him in his death. And when he was buried, I, I, Malcolm Smith, was buried with him. And when he walked out of the tomb, I walked out, born from above, into a new world, a new <coughs> dimension of being. And when he ascended, he carried me. Of course he carried me because I'm in him and he's in me. And he sat down at the right hand of the Father and I sat down with him. Or as the epistles continually say, you are seated in heavenly places. That's not poetry. Oh. And that's the gospel, she says. You don't go to heaven when you die. Heaven comes to you and you go to heaven and you're meeting in one glorious union. It's the passion of God to come to earth. And we're all trying to get out of it. It's weird, isn't it? We even invent something coming up. It's called the rapture. Let's get out of here. Let's get out. Well, God is saying, let me get in and let my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's joined into us. And so that was the beginning of the gospel. And so in the early church, you had physical faith. Faith certainly wasn't mental when you had, I believe about that. 
No, it, it was your core being you'd seen. That was the gospel, you've seen it. And that involved your, your feelings. It involved emotions. It involved your will. It, it involved the totality of you, including your body. Don't leave your poor body out. And faith, that agreement with God, that's saying yes, yes, amen. So, so how, do, how do I do physical faith? They said, step into the water. Do, do you ever heard what they did in those early church days? It's fascinating. So, so you see, you've come to this. And they, they didn't say, come forward and get saved. They said, come forward and begin a journey of enlightenment to see what this gospel is about. And, and, and you, you came to it, and now you realize it. I'm, I'm in Christ, and when he died, I died. I'm a dead man walking, but thank God I'm dead because what I'm walking in is newness of life. So they said, step into the water. And you would stand in the water of baptism. And you would declare that, that you're finished, you're done with the world and the flesh. That they, they was crucified with Christ. You're a new creation. And then, and I love this, they turned to the west where the sun went down and they spat. I like that. Yeah, they spat, spit. It was called the Holy Spit. And as they spat, they said, and we renounce Satan and all his lies and the darkness. And they spat. The Holy Spit. When I baptize people, we'll still do that. It's fun. And then, then something happened to them that they couldn't do themselves. They were put under the water. For they not only died with Christ, they were buried. And you couldn't earn it. You couldn't do something to make it happen. Somebody else did that. God the Father put you in Christ. So relax. That was a symbol that somebody else has got to do that. You can't baptize yourself. And then God the Father raised him from the dead. And you came out dripping wet. But you've said it with your body that I am crucified with Christ. And you would walk out of the steps of the baptismal pool. And there in the earliest centuries of the church, they would take a, a goodly flagon of oil and they would pour it over you and it'd drip all down you. And, and we do the same when I baptize. And we say that the first gift that you have is the Holy Spirit. And now be filled with the Spirit. And there's sometimes a lot of joyful stuff going on at the top of the baptismal steps. And then they would take a candle and they'd light it and they'd put it into the hands of the newly baptized. And they said, now you are the light of the world. And Christ the light dwells in you now. Be who you are. And then they would give you a cup of milk and honey and said, you have come to the new land of milk and honey. And they dress you in a white robe to say you are in a relation to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit of righteousness. And they would lead that person dripping wet. Because that was done in Roman bathrooms. That's where they met in houses. So they'd come out of the bathroom. And they'd lead that dripping wet person with a candle and a milk. And they would lead them to the table of the Holy Communion where the rest of the church was already gathered. And they would say now, be bold to lead us. And the person would say, our Father who art in heaven. And it was the first time in public that they'd ever said, my daddy, my father. You understand they never had backsliders in the early church. They, they knew who they were. And they were not, they didn't give that physical faith until they did know who they were. But it, it's, it's a matter of knowing who you are 
It's in that day you shall know. It will be, you'll know it. It won't be something that you might forget because you merely had it on something on the refrigerator. It's, you know it in your entire being. And what I've just said from the very beginning, that's how Father sees you. I want you to get that. Uh, at this minute, maybe you don't see it. Maybe you're just listening to me. But you see, this is truth. And when God the Father looks at you, he knows that you're in Christ. That's how he knows you. And if you insist on talking about something else, he won't talk back to you about that. He just talks to you in terms of you being in Christ. Because that's who you are. And if you haven't discovered the oil yet, or if you're still walking on the gold, it doesn't make any difference. The oil is there, and the gold is there, and you are in Christ. That's how you are known. That's who you are. And Jesus knows that, of course. He's bound himself to you in his humanity. It's what the incarnation's all about. The very fact of Jesus in the heavens in the very heart of the Holy Trinity is proof that you're there with him. And the Holy Spirit knows it. Holy Spirit, he's the most dynamic. He's always moving. He can't resist a moment to open your eyes and to show you the love of the Father. I say they, the holy they, they know this is true. And that's the only way they see it. He knows that you are not of this world any more than Jesus is of this world. And I'm not reading from another book. This is what you have. This is the Bible. Okay, it's, it's the Bible. <laughs> and don't you remember Jesus said, you are no longer of this world any more than I am? What did you do with that? You thought it was some poetry or something. No, that's a report of truth. That's more real than what is on your IRS form. This is fact. Fact. This is who you are. You are not of this world. You might be the shyest. You might be the person you see yourself as insignificant. You might even say I'm unworthy and all that religious stuff. It doesn't matter. Little lady sitting in your one room apartment thinking that you're a nobody. Let me say to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that you are the residence of our God of love. He dwells in you. You are the most significant. You have worth beyond description for you are worth the blood of Jesus Christ. And you are worth the Holy Trinity taking up residence in you. So stretch, rise up, and be who you are. That's the gospel. You see, that's the gospel. It's, it's the final fact of the gospel. He's in us. That, that's, and in us, it means that we are actually participating in the gift of himself to us. The gift of his righteousness, the gift of his love. In, in, in all our being, in every part of our humanity, he dwells there. And the very fact he's in us is enough to say we're no longer of this world. We don't belong in this world system. You don't belong in the world of your corporation that you work for. You don't belong in the religious world that continually says, try harder to imitate Jesus. You don't belong there anymore. Don't belong. You're not of this world. Christ is your life. You're not in that dark world of depression. It doesn't belong to you anymore. And it's not only what you're not any longer, it is what he's brought you to. That his life, the life of the beautiful Father, Son, and Holy Spirit 
He's been brought to every area of my person so that I am indeed the light of the world. Indeed, for me to live is Christ. That's it. It is so. So what do we do now? That's really upset things, isn't it? Because I had one pastor tell me when I told him this, he said, I've got nothing left to preach. (laughs) He did, that's the truth. He got quite upset, you know. (laughs) He said, why do we come together on Sunday, said this pastor. He said, we come together for me to tell the people how much they need. And they all come forward to try and get it. And we got another church card, you know. And I, I said, no. You've got to tell them that in Christ Jesus, they don't need anything. You have all things. You have a father who loves you and has said he'll watch over you and care for you and provide for you. Jesus, your very life. Holy Spirit, your companion, your friend, your guide, your teacher, your revelator who's going to walk you through this inch by inch. What, what do you need? You might need some help to see that. But we've got to get this. We, we, we don't live in poverty mindset. This isn't about what you don't have. This isn't that you've got to get something that is way down the road and it's going to take a long time, a lot of Bible reading, a lot of praying, a lot of dedicating to get there. No. How closer to God can you get than being in Christ who is in the Father? So what does the future hold? That we are going to increasingly see who we really are. I am going to grow in grace and in the knowledge of God. And that doesn't mean, when it says knowledge of God, it doesn't mean going to Bible school and learning all about God. It is the knowledge that God has of you being imparted to you. The knowledge that God has of you being imparted to you. And I have to grow in that, see? I have to grow in that because... Yeah, I mean, the day that I realized I'm born from above through the resurrection of Jesus. I thought I had everything. Well, I was right, I did. But I hadn't got a clue how that was going to change every part of my life. That took time. It's taking time. Before I came here, I spent a week just asking the Holy Spirit to open my eyes, and I saw this more clearly than I'd ever seen it before. And I've been on this road for 60 years. No, 65. It's, it never stops the revelation of who you are and the application of that to your life. And the Holy Spirit won't quit. It's who you are. It's who you are. And we bring up all the evidence that that's not who I am. And he laughs and keeps on telling you who you are. I, many, many years ago, I mean, it is many years ago, I was in Pennsylvania and there was a Methodist pastor, God bless that man, and his wife, and they took in um, abused children and they took in this one that I've never heard anything, never seen anything like it. A little baby had been left in a closet, fed like a dog, never spoken to, treated like a dog. And and so by the time he was a toddler, he wasn't a toddler, on all fours, eating out of a bowl, couldn't talk, had no human feelings, grunted, And they took that child in. How are they going to? 
I must weep when I remember it. They addressed that little human that crawled around and grunted and ate out of a dog bowl. They spoke, they treated as if it's really human. They never went down to the level that that poor child had been put to. They remained at the level of human parents and they loved that child and they hugged that child and they talked to that child as if he could understand and they put his food on a table and it went on months and one day the child stood up on two legs. He'd already begun to talk and he came and he sat at the table Gradually, gradually, he became who he really was because somebody saw who he really was and refused to talk to him at the level he thought he was. Do you get that? That child. On that basis, on that basis, that child went on and he got degrees and master's degrees and a doctorate in MIT and he's a brilliant person today but he began in a cupboard thinking he was a dog and let me say it again because persons spoke to him as he really was not what he thought he was not according to his behavior but according to who they knew he really was they spoke to him and loved him and treated him as he really was and they drew forth out of him who he really was. God the Holy Spirit is bringing to us the words of the Father and the words of Jesus that only will speak to us in terms of who we really are. And we grunt and we say, look how I'm acting. Look what I'm doing. And the father laughs and says, you're my son. You're my son. Come sit at the table. Come eat with us. And you become who you are. And that's the New Testament. You read, would you do this for me? Go and read through the New Testament beginning at Romans. No, let's make it easy on you. Begin at Ephesians. Let's do it that way. Read Ephesians. Read Philippians. Read Colossians. And you will realize that those books are doing one thing. They're doing what those two parents did. It's saying, you are, you are, you are, you are. And at every step... When I first realized that, I wanted to say, I'm not. And he never answered me. He just smiled and says, you are, you are. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. And all the fullness of God is in you. Do you know that's what it says in Colossians 2? It says that he, Jesus, it pleased God that the fullness, that's a big word, fullness of the Godhead, fullness of who the Father is, fullness of who Son and Spirit are, the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Jesus bodily. That's Colossians 2. But the next verse says, and you are complete in him, which is the same word. It means, and you are the same, that the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to see the Father Son and Holy Spirit live in you the same as in Jesus. And I thought I was going a bit too far with that. You know, you wonder that sometimes. This is too good to be true. And I was reading in the Amplified Bible. Now, you, if, you're, if you're a Baptist here tonight or evangelical, you know the Amplified Bible. It's okay, right? You know, people say Amplified's okay. They're, they're not a bunch of nutcases who wrote it or who translated it. And in the Amplified Bible, it says that the Holy Trinity dwells in you because you are in Christ. It's who you are. I say again, we're not asking from a poverty mindset. We're coming from a fullness we hardly understand. So how do we pray? We pray that the Holy Spirit 
may be to us the spirit of wisdom. Open my eyes. Open my eyes that I might see who I am. Maybe the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation in the knowledge of him. That I may know the hope, the expectation to which I have been called. Which isn't going to heaven when I die. It's living God in Christ right here and now. That I might know the exceeding greatness of his power which is toward me. And that power is in Jesus raised him from the dead, set him in his own right hand. And he's included me in that. And he said, all I can do is pray that your eyes will be opened to see who you really are. When I see who I really am, when I go on to be who I am, and this wonder begins to flood my whole being. You know, you have, well, depends on your size, but the average American male has 72 trillion cells in your body. And those cells make up everything you are from your brain to your big toe. Isn't it thrilling that the Holy Trinity lives in 72 cells? Every part of me, every little tweak of my being, is filled with the fullness of God. Oh God, Holy Spirit, open my eyes to see that. It is so, you see, it is so. We're blind as bats. But it is so. Open my eyes. And let me, let me enter into the holy dare of being that so that I go back into my corporate world I'm not part of it, but it means I am, I am the landing point of the Holy Trinity in the middle of that office, you see. I'm not part of this whole system of lies that make up the world in which we live, but it means that now when I walk into that, see, no, we don't escape, oh God, get me out of here. No, he says, go into there. As the Father sent me, so send I you. And I walk into this world, and I am the presence of Jesus. I am in the Holy Spirit. And when he works, he works in me and in you. Because God refuses to be God without us. And he refuses to do anything without us. So that when the work of God is always called together with, we are co-workers together with him. He won't do it without us. And he sends us into the middle of it and says, just be yourself. Because yourself is so fantastic. You walk into a room full of bitterness and anger and you bring the peace of God. You walk into the darkness and you are the joy of the Lord. You are the light of the world. You, where, you go where corruption is and you are the salt of the earth that stops it. This is the gospel. And this, you see, it's a progress. You are, so you're not trying to get somewhere. You're not working towards something. You're working from it. Did you get that? You are. So I'm not trying to get it, you see. I'm not, I'm not trying to get more love. Because God is love and he lives inside me. What I'm seeking to do is to become who I am. Did you get that? I'm not trying to get more love. I'm seeking to see that and know it and live it so that that love gets into my eyes and that love gets into my speech. There was a word in the ancient church, the Greek word, to describe that. It was theosis. Theosis. And a very loose translation of theosis would be in Godded. Kind of like that. God became flesh, joined himself to me, the humility of God. And why did he do it? To take me to be where he is, 
So God joins me that I might join him. That I indeed might share with the Holy Trinity and be that in the earth by the sheer grace of God as gift upon gift. But that's, that's what it is. It's what it is. And so the scripture says, now put off. Have you ever read that in the epistles? If you do what I asked, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, especially Ephesians, Colossians, chapter 4 in Ephesians, chapter 3 in Colossians. And he uses, it says, you put off. But why, why do you put off behavior? You know, it says put off anger, put off bitterness, put off unwholesome talk out of your mouth. Put it off. Why does it say that? Because it's already told you that because of who you are, that doesn't belong to you anymore. So I don't say, oh God, deliver me from anger. No. I say, thank you, Lord, you've delivered me from anger. So now I, I'm putting it off. Do, do you see that? I, I, I'm not trying to stop doing that. Please help me stop. stop. No, I was crucified with Christ, remember? I was buried and this thing was buried with me. So now I determine to put this away because it doesn't belong to me anymore. For me to live is Christ. This is... <coughs> we, you know, I come... Well, I, no, I don't come. I live in Texas. I come from the UK, but um, I live in Texas. <laughs> And we've got lots of snakes there. That's why we have cowboy boots. They're not, they're not for show, because yeah, snakes bite. And you have boots where they can't get through. And, and um, at a certain time of the year, there'll be skins, snake skins, hanging on branches, especially if it's a tree with spikes attached. And it's, sometimes the snake is very good at it, and you see a whole snake skin, and he just kind of slithered out of it, rubbing up against the tree. Why, why, do, why does he do that? Because he's got a new skin, and the new skin has grown under the old one, so that the old one essentially becomes detached. And it's just hanging around the body as a disgusting sight. Uh, this poor, poor snake is going around, you know, with, it, with this old skin hanging down. And, and I don't know, I, I've never had that experience, but it, it, it must itch, you know. And so he goes up to the tree and starts, and gradually gets out of the skin and goes away with his bright new skin. That's basically what they're talking about here. It's saying, for goodness sake, will you put off that old skin? It used to be your skin. And so if, if it was back in those days, I would never have said, get rid of your skin. Poor you. To have gotten rid of your skin then would have been a bloody mess. But now, now, says the scripture, that's not you anymore. You have a new skin and his name is Jesus the newness of your life, and the old skin doesn't fit anymore. You look terrible in it. It doesn't. Get rid of your anger. Get rid of your foul speech. Get rid of that. Why? So you can be better. No, because you are better. Do you get it? You're not doing a get somewhere. You, it's because you're there. That, that's the gospel. And then it says, put on. And actually, both these expressions, put off, put on, both of them are used of clothes. They're, they're sort of things you would find in a clothing store, put off, put on. And it's as if, well, actually, in, in, in Ephesians, I think it is, when it says put off the old self, it, it's, it actually, if we give a very free translation of that from the original language, it, it, it means take off that filthy, flea-written piece of cloth. Get rid of it. Look, I've got this new suit for you. It fits you to perfection. It's eternal in nature. 
It is woven with love. Put on who you really are. This, this is who you are. So much so, it says in Galatians, put on Christ. And it's interesting, in Isaiah 59, it uses that same expression concerning God. It says that he puts on a helmet of salvation. But does that mean he, that's the first time God has ever been a savior? No. To put on means be who you are. Assume your identity. Be who you are. Put on this behavior as God himself put on salvation when he was going to do a specific act of salvation. He didn't suddenly become it. That's it. That's who he is. So the scripture says, put off who you're not. Put it off. And it's rotten. It's corrupt. It's got a lot of fleas in it. So, I mean, don't, don't have any second thoughts. Put it off. And assume who you are. Do you know the difference? If you don't know the difference, I, I don't know if I could explain it. But if you attack your habits and your behaviors as if they're really part of you, your whole being fights back. But the moment you realize that isn't me, I'm, this is the true me, and I'm just letting that go because it doesn't belong to me. That's, I was that until my eyes were open to discover who I really am. And now I just let it go. Do you know? It will go. Huh. Well, that's the truth. <laughs> that's the truth. You let it go. You put it on. Who do you end up being? Well, number one, you end up being a genuine human being because this is what humans were created to be. But it's hard to say beyond that what you really look like, what you are, because I have to insist you are still you. You're more you than you've ever been. But, 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 there's another you who lives in you, who is your real you. <laughs> Let me give you an illustration that comes from about 200 years after Jesus rose from the dead. So this should be pretty close to how the early Christians lived. And they described this life as taking a sword. See, it's an old illustration, so they had swords. And they take a sword, and they put that sword into the fire. And they left it there until the sword was white hot. So they said, now what is this? Is it fire or is it a sword? Because it has everything here, all the attributes of a sword. But at the same time, it has all the attributes of fire. And so you have a sword that essentially is baptized in fire. You have fire that has taken on a sword. And it doesn't, I, I, I can't give one word. It, it depends what you're using. If you're using a sword, it will be a sword that's fire. And if you're lighting something, it's fire, but it's a sword. <laughs> and you see, that's how I'm seeing you right now. You're human. And you feel very fragile, very weak human. Yet at the same self, same time, the triune God in the person of Jesus lives inside of you. And it is to be known in your eyes, in your mouth, in your actions. And within you, the revelation of God is let loose. And for you to live is Christ. And so there we go. Well, you is you. For you to live is Christ. So all the attributes of you are totally one with the attributes of Christ. And you are an enigma. You're a question mark. 
that am I dealing with Jesus or am I dealing with you? And I wink at you and say, for me to live is Christ. To deal with me is to deal with Christ. That's who you are. That's who you are. 